Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm your host, George Mason, and I'm delighted to welcome to our program today uh, a friend from across the sea. Uh, this is the Reverend Professor Dr. Mitri Raheb. Uh, Mitri, we're so happy to have you here. Dr. Raheb is from Bethlehem, that is Bethlehem, Palestine. And we're so glad that we have the opportunity to have this conversation. Welcome to Good God. Thank you, George. Great to be with you. Wonderful. So uh, we uh, talked in church this morning, and he was our guest here at Wilshire Baptist Church, uh, about this new book, The Politics of Persecution, uh, the subtitle being Middle Eastern Christians in an Age of Empire. Uh, but you have all the moral authority to write a book like this because it comes out of the very dirt of the land that is in question. This is from your experience. When we hear talking heads on cable networks and when we hear preachers in America often talking about the Holy Land, there is a sense that there is a, a kind of authority that they have sometimes without ever having been there or lived there. Right. And so hearing from your perspective as a Christian from Palestine is important. I think everyone would like to know, how did you get there to Bethlehem? Uh, did you follow a star to Bethlehem? Or uh, do you wanna tell us the actual truth about that? Yeah, um, I mean, uh, I think many people, uh, they have forgotten that Christianity started in Palestine. <laughs> exactly. uh, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Palestine, not Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. That's right. And that uh, the Bible did not originate in the Bible Belt. Yes. Thanks God. Yes. Right. Uh, and uh, for the last 2000 years, there has been a Christian community living in Palestine and throughout the Middle East, mm -hmm. in spite of all the ups and downs of history and of politics that we went through. Right. Um, and, um, you know, so the Palestinian Christian community is one of the oldest Christian communities in the world. Yes. Um, and um, for us, it's important that these are our roots. Mm -hmm. This is our history. Yes. Uh, but also, hopefully this is our future and this is what we are committed to mm -hmm. to make sure that christianity will not only survive but thrive in palestine and throughout the middle east you say that christianity has been continuously present in palestine since for since the very beginning of of the church uh, and in fact you mentioned this morning that you were born probably across the street from where Jesus was born. I mean, literally across the <laughs> street. Literally across yeah, the street. Yeah. So, I mean, this is something that I think many people in their imagination don't really uh, gather, uh, that they, they, they might be surprised to understand such a thing, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, sometimes when I'm traveling throughout uh, the U.S., people ask me, tell us when did your family convert to Christianity? Right, right. You know, assuming that maybe we used to be Muslims or heathens or whatever right. uh, who were converted to Christianity by some missionaries, yes, uh, Baptist missionaries or whatever from the, right. from the mid Midwest. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I like always to tease them by saying, you know, because I was born across the street from where Jesus was born, uh, I like to tell them, you know, most probably 
one of my grand-grandmas used to babysit for Jesus. <laughs> so we have that long history with Jesus. Yes. Uh, you know, he's a neighbor, uh, a countryman, uh, but also a savior. I think it's important probably for many people to get a sense that to be Palestinian as a terminology is to have been born in this land Correct. of Palestine, Correct. which now technically is uh, labeled such as the area of the West Bank and also the Gaza Strip, right? Yes. The Palestinian territories. There, there, it is not wrong to say that all of that area uh, that includes the state of Israel is historically Palestine. Correct, right? that's, that's historic Palestine. But nowadays when we use that terminology, uh, we do so more politically and geographically to describe the reality on the ground, right? Correct, but I mean there are also Palestinian Christians living inside Israel, in Nazareth, in Haifa, in Jaffa, in, in Upper Galilee. They are Palestinians, though Israeli citizens. Yes, and this is where it gets confusing, right? Right, yes. exactly, and so I always like to say I mean, Jesus was a Palestinian Jew. Yes. Now, people today think being Palestinian and being Jewish is like a contradiction in itself. Exactly. But it's not because right. uh, Palestine was always a country with several religions, always pluralistic. Yes. I mean, mm -hmm. at the time of Jesus, there were the Samaritan. Yes. But also there were the Canaanites. I mm -hmm. mean, Jesus meeting the Canaanite woman. We yes. forget about that. You yes, know? right. So it's multi-faith uh, country. Mm -hmm. uh, um, even when, when the Byzantine took over and became Christian, mm -hmm. still uh, there were people of other faiths living there. Yes. Uh, and when uh, uh, the Arabs came uh, and uh, uh, the, the majority became Muslim, there are, were still Jews and Christians. Yes. Uh, so, so I think we, this is we have to distinguish between Palestine as, as a country, historic Palestine, and the different identities and religions and ethnicities that were there. And this is challenging even in the state of Israel, where uh, Israel is both a Jewish nation and a democracy, and they are wrestling with whether they can be both of those things, given that m many of our friends, including Christian friends, Palestinian Arab friends, who live in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, not where he was born in Bethlehem, where right. you w w re reside, but uh, they feel often uh, like there are advantages for them to be Israeli citizens on the one hand, but they do not feel that they are always treated as if they are full-fledged uh, Israeli citizens on the other. Correct, I mean, uh, because, uh, you know, the, uh, Israel, especially a few years ago, they had this um, nation-state law, yes. which, uh, which says basically that Israel is mainly for uh, uh, the homeland for the Jews. Yes. Uh, and so Christians and Muslims, they are basically second-class citizens. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, today, many human rights organizations are talking about it, uh, even describing it as, as apartheid. Yes, and, and this, is, this is something that I think we are seeing the rise of, even as democracy seemed to have swept across the globe in, in, in a large way for a long period of time. But 
then there there came to be a backlash against it. Correct. And what we're seeing with nationalism in Russia now, and even in the United States, right. uh, we're, what makes you the most uh, culturally acceptable per part of the nation you're living in? And in America, that would be white evangelical Christians, to a large extent, make the claim that 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 they really define who America is. And yet here we are, this tremendously pluralistic nation, Good. even with the ideals that we should be such, and yet there's a tension here. So Israel is wrestling with that as well. But within the Palestinian community, uh, I think uh, as a Christian, you are a very small minority among Palestinians too, right? So the, so how are, how is the Palestinian delegation, uh, in a sense, uh, dealing with that very issue. Yeah, I mean, uh, Christians in in Palestine now, Palestine meaning West Bank, yes, Gaza, yes, right. uh, they make 1.7% uh, of the population. Right. Inside Israel, they make 1.3% of the population. Yes. So numerically, we are small in mm -hmm. number. And yet, actually, Christians, especially in the West Bank and Gaza, continue to play a major role. You know, we, we did a study just to, uh, last year, mm -hmm. uh, there are 296 church-related organizations wow. working in, in, in the West Bank and Gaza. Wow, 296 church-related right. organizations. organizations. And wow. guess what? Uh, it was even for me a surprise. Th this church-related organization, if we take them together, they are the third employer in Palestine after the government wow. and the UNRWA, which is the U United Nations yes. uh, uh, Relief and Work Agency. Wow. Uh, they employ around uh, 10,000 people, though they are altogether less than 50,000 people. Interesting. And they pump into the economy uh, around $500 million a year, uh, which is the same amount almost of, of money that the Palestinian Authority received from the donor agencies, wow. including the U.S. Wow. So, I mean, the, the impact uh, of the churches is, and especially in the field of education and in the field of health. Yes. Uh, if I take Bethlehem as an example, uh, in Bethlehem we have four universities and colleges, three universities, one college. Uh -huh. Our university is one of them. Yes. Three out of the four are Christian. Wow. Wow. One, you know, run by the Catholics, Bethlehem University, one run by the Evangelicals, uh, Bible College, and one, uh, our university, yes. which is ecumenical. Yes. If we take Jerusalem as an example, Jerusalem, mm. uh, in East Jerusalem, yes. we have six hospitals. Four out of the six are Christians. And they serve uh, around quarter of a million patients a year. 99% of them are Muslims. Wow. So you uh, can see the impact actually that Christians actually yes. uh, do. However, um, if we look at Gaza specifically, mm -hmm. there are less than 800 Christians left in Gaza, wow. which really means that we know that within this generation, Christianity will cease to exist in Gaza. Mm -hmm. And this is really painful because Gaza used to be uh, one of the main mission hubs in Palestine mm. in the f fourth, fifth, sixth century. Yes. They the gospel went out of Gaza into the southern part of uh, of, of Palestine, mm -hmm. Sinai, etc. Mm -hmm. 
all that history will be will yes. be gone yes. soon, unfortunately. So there's so many directions I want to go with you about this, uh, but I think maybe it's best as you've described the situation now of the place of, of Christians in Palestine as a small minority, but with an outside sense of influence, um, yet in American churches, there seems to be a, a forgetfulness about your very existence right. or a willful ignorance of the fact that you continue to exist. And sometimes what we hear in our theology uh, that comes from an interpretation of the Bible right. uh, that, that places uh, the region of Palestine, the city of Jerusalem, the state of Israel in a, an end of days understanding, right. uh, the support for the state of Israel from many Christian churches is unmixed. It is complete and entire, even if that support hurts fellow Christians in Palestine at this time. Good. Tell our viewers what it feels like to you to live there and know that your sisters and brothers are proclaiming a, a, a way of being Christian that is damaging to the lives of the actual Christians on the ground. Yeah, I mean, um, this is a major problem that, that we face mm -hmm. um, because um, there is this movement what we call Christian Zionism, yes. uh, which is really very dangerous, I think, mm -hmm. for many reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, first, uh, it somehow, um, you know, mixes uh, the biblical Israel yes. with a modern state of Israel. Yes. Uh, and that is very dangerous because yes. the moment you give any state mm -hmm. A theological overcoat mm -hmm. that is very dangerous right because you know states <laughs> are sinful at the end of the day uh, right. uh, and the prophets were saying that all the time yes and as a Lutheran you must keep re emphasizing that right <laughs> <laughs> correct <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> uh, and so and so it's it's very dangerous you know as you said I think uh, in the yeah. sermon today I mean yes. once nationalism and religion huh are mixed together, this is oh. the most dangerous. It's terribly actually. dangerous cocktail. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So that's one. Secondly, I mean, these uh, Christian Zionists, unfortunately, uh, they really ignore us. Mm -hmm. They don't talk to us. Mm -hmm. They think we are not kosher Christians, yes. you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, because we don't share their, mm -hmm. not theology, but their ideology. For yes. me, that's more an ideology than theology. Yes, yes. The third reason is really they are not only danger. They are not only dangerous for us as Palestinians as, and as Christians. Mm -hmm. They are dangerous for the Jews themselves because mm -hmm. they really don't like or love the Jews. Mm -hmm. But they are anxious for Armageddon. Yes, you know they want to to see the end time coming sooner. Yes, rather than later. Yes, uh, and. Uh, uh, in their ideology, two-thirds of the Jews will be killed mm -hmm. after going back. Mm 
-hmm. and the third third will convert to Christianity. So right. basically, their ideology is calling for the annihilation of the Jewish people, right. which is anti-Semitic, actually. It is. You know? It is indeed. Uh, and so this is why I cannot agree with them. You right. know? Um, and uh, uh, the last thing is that their political agenda is frightening. Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. uh, because really, it's it's a it's a ultra conservative mm -hmm. political agenda right. uh, that. Uh, yeah, I think that is. Uh, I mean, when I now uh, watch like Fox News and I see them talking about third world war and mm -hmm. nuclear war and so on, mm -hmm. as if they are really anxious about that, mm -hmm. and this is frightening because. Yes. I mean, as Christians, uh, we have to work for justice and peace and not, you know, right. to like, mm -hmm. to support wars. Exactly. So, it's difficult sometimes to get involved in conversations with Christian Zionists, uh, for me, because unless I establish my bona fides of saying that I support the state of Israel and I believe that the Jews have a right to a homeland and this sort of thing, there's no more conversation to have. Sometimes this is true uh, with Jewish friends as well. Uh, but many Jews, of course, uh, while uh, naturally uh, taking great delight in the fact that there is a secure homeland for Jews somewhere in the world, no longer having to be forced into diaspora, but having a place uh, where they can be free to worship and, and, and live, uh, nonetheless, recognize the moral contradiction in the occupation that right. they have of, of Palestine in this time. And many of them support a two-state solution also so that Palestine would have autonomy and, and be able to do that. But for, I guess the, the question I have, Mitri, is how do you manage uh, these kinds of dynamics of conversations when so many people make it very difficult for you to be an authentic conversation partner. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think uh, sometimes uh, within the Jewish community, you have those groups who who think they have what I call monopoly over suffering. Ah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which I, I question. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, th the Holocaust wa was the most terrible thing that mm -hmm could have happened yes. uh, and uh, in, in Europe. Uh, and, uh, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, uh, a kind of Christian theology was, unfortunately, was part of, yes. of leading to that. Yes. But if we think of the Native American, if we think of the African American, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, every suffering is unique. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And we as Palestinians, we have been suffering for over 100 years. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And so while I understand the longing of the Jewish people to have a secure homeland, I expect from them to understand my right mm -hmm. to have a secure homeland. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought that the Jewish people should understand actually the Palestinian suffering yes. better than anyone else for mm -hmm. two reasons. One mm -hmm. is, if you read Jewish history, it was often a history of resistance against the Roman occupation. Yes. Mm -hmm. So they understand that occupation is not good right. because they, they experience it on their own mm -hmm. body. And so how can they support 
our occupation. Mm -hmm. And the other, having suffered in Europe, uh, you know, uh, uh, so much, Mm -hmm. uh, I was hoping that there will be some sympathy with with people suffering, yeah. which they showed like here with the African American community mm-hmm. to some extent, but they are not showing it with Palestine. Having said that, uh, in the states, thanks God that there is also a movement that I see. You know, before there was APAC mm-hmm. only, yes, and they are with the state of Israel, whatever the state of Israel, yes. Does. This is not anymore the case. So yes. now you have J Street, they are calling for a two-state solution. Yes. But now you have other groups like uh, Jewish Voices for Peace mm-hmm. who are actually saying, you know, uh, we would like to have one state. So mm. so you have this, this, this spectrum and yes. this movement within uh, American Judaism, uh, which actually is, is, is for me a sign that, you know, uh, occupation, does not have a future. Good, good. So there's a political question. But then I think there's sometimes that people only think about things either from a political or a theological uh, perspective. And as we talked about, that can be good or bad, depending upon your politics and your theology. Right, right. right. and and this is true for Jews and for Christians and for Muslims as well. This is there's no one has a monopoly on right. good or bad theology, Correct. right? Correct. Uh, or good or bad politics. But uh, one of the things that you say in this book uh, is that the motif of persecution uh, that many Christians uh, use as a narrative. Uh, not just in the Middle East, but also throughout the world, and including in America now, increasingly, uh, is, in a sense, a politically driven claim. And there, really, it needs to be challenged on uh, the basis of real life in how Christians are living in different places. Will you say more about that and more about the nature of that in your book? Yeah. uh, what I'm saying here is that uh, the idea of Christian persecution, uh, uh, of Christian persecution, is a perception rather than a actual description of the situation, mm-hmm. and it says more about the West mm-hmm. than about the Christians in the Middle East. Yes, because uh, and I I am sh- uh, uh, showing that uh, in different uh, like. Uh, Stories. It's a book of church history. It is. A, it is a book of church history. Correct. It is, but political history as well, and the right. role of petrodollars and uh, the, you know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so, so I, I talk about Lebanon, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the civil war there, eighteen sixty. Mm-hmm. I talked about the genocide of the Armenians, mm-hmm. uh, but I talk also about Christian Zionism mm-hmm. and the Balfour Declaration. Yes. And uh, having a Jewish homeland. Yes. Uh, actually, excluding the Palestinians right. and that. Uh, but also I talk about, as you said, the petrodollar and uh, uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia uh, mm-hmm. exporting their version of Islam. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but really the, the idea of Christian persecution as we see it today is actually an invention of the evangelical Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, in uh, Luzanne 2, mm-hmm. 
uh, which which took place uh, 1989. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, right after the fall of the, the, Soviet, the, Union. the Soviet Union. So exactly. Uh, coincidence or not, right? You know, so the shift takes place from persecution by uh, the godless communists exactly to the anti-Christian Muslims. Exactly, exactly. Yes. That happened actually. Uh, basically, it's uh, it's uh, it's an Argentinian-born uh, Christian mm-hmm. uh, who at Lausanne mm-hmm. to second said uh, we have to shift. Yes to what he called the resistant belt, mm-hmm. uh, uh, reaching from uh, sub-Saharan Africa, North Africa, mm-hmm. all the way to China, yes. where actually 95% of the Muslims live. Yes, And so this is when we see the discourse that mm-hmm. Christians are persecuted by the Muslims. Right. Maybe now, after the Ukraine war, I yes. feel that this old uh, mm-hmm. uh, Russian mm-hmm. Uh, enemy that is like a comeback now. Yes. Um, so it might shift again, mm-hmm. or maybe you have now. T- will you will have two, not mm-hmm. only one. Uh, but but really, what I'm saying here is that the history of Christians in the Middle East is a history of not so much persecution, but actually it's it's um, resilience. Yes. Uh, that's for me the most important word, mm-hmm. resilience. I mean, mm-hmm. Christians, in the last 2,000 years, they were able to adapt, to resist, mm-hmm. and to continue, uh, you know, preaching the good news mm-hmm. in a context where sometimes there are no good, there is no good news. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, that is something to celebrate. This is what I would like to focus on. And, and I, I think another thing that comes to mind here is why is it that Christians seem to be so uh, in need of a persecuting enemy in order to know who we are. When we share the same biblical uh, texts of Judaism that declare that we must love and care for our neighbor and welcome the stranger, and Jesus was clear about that over and over. All through our Christian scriptures, we are told that this is to be the case. And instead of needing to find an enemy, we are supposed to <laughs> reach out to our enemies and, uh, and essentially make, understand them as neighbors. And, and this, is, this is something that you have to do as a real politic with uh, the Palestinian Muslims as well, right? right. You have common cause right. to do so, and this is an uncomfortable truth for many people. Huh? Right. I mean... You know, uh, I mean, uh, at our university, 80% of our students are Muslims. Yes. You know, um, you know, you have uh, uh, women, uh, Muslim women, girls uh, mm-hmm. with scarf. Yes. You have others without. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have that even pluralistic within Islam. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, what we share is our humanity. Nice. You know, if it's with Muslim, is it with Jews? And uh, the most dangerous thing is if we lose our humanity. Nice. And if we, you know, lose seeing God in the other. Yes. Uh, that is really, I think, what, what Jesus taught us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
it doesn't mean that life is always easy. You no. know, life has lots of challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we have also challenges with an interfaith. Mm-hmm. But I tell you, it's uh, uh, some of my best friends are Muslims. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I don't want to live in a context where it's exclusively Christian or something. Right, right. Uh, and even I don't want to live in a context where, uh, you know, there are no Jews. I, for mm-hmm. me, you know, this 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 pluralism is something that is uh, that is dear to my heart. Nice. Uh, and this is what I would like to to promote. Likewise, here in in America, in the United States, this is. Uh, part of what we are working toward through our Faith Commons organization. But as you begin to talk about the humanity needing to be emphasized, the common humanity, this leads me to talk about Dara Kalima, uh, the school that you founded in Bethlehem, a university devoted to arts and culture. And this is a strategy that I think is quite subversive. Uh, that is to Imagine that you are there training a generation of Muslim and Christian Palestinians in the arts uh, to find their place in humanity in a place that often feels dehumanizing to them. Exactly. And helping them to imagine what it would be like to construct a different kind of society. Tell us more about Dara Kalima. Yeah, you know, uh, the idea. Uh, behind Dar al-Kalima actually uh, was a vision that uh, we caught while I was uh, pastor uh, at Christmas Lutheran Church and uh, we felt God was calling us to reach out to the larger community. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to work within the, the church walls. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we feel so comfortable, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and uh, uh, we felt that arts and culture are maybe the most important and powerful tools for social transformation. Yes. So we didn't want to do theology mm-hmm. because we didn't want just to reach out to the Christians. Yes. We didn't want to do politics because people are fed up with politics. Yes. You know, and politicians let them down, irrespective yes. W- yes. which politicians. Uh, and so, but but the arts, you know, uh, especially in that context, art is a powerful tool. One. Art is therapy. Yes. And you know, uh, John Hopkins University mm-hmm. did a study about Palestinians mm-hmm. in, uh, under occupation. I did not know. And they said, they found out that 85% of the Palestinian people have some symptoms of depression wow. because of the occupation. Wow. And so art really is, is, is a healing mm-hmm. uh, uh, therapy f- in that context without, without calling it therapy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Second, uh, art is important for the future of the church because imagine, mm-hmm. I mean, worship without music, mm-hmm. you know, uh, right. worship without the arts. Yes. Uh, uh, so, so that's a powerful tool. Third, uh, uh, art is important for identity. Mm-hmm. And for us, we want to, to help shape a dynamic identity of our people. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes when you are under oppression, uh, you know, you might lose your humanity yes 
and your creativity. Yes. And so investing in creativity is of utmost importance for us uh, living in, in that. But also, if you want peace, you need creative people. Yes, yes. Because war is boring and it's mm-hmm. the easiest thing you do. Yes. But peace is really the, the creative mind that can only reach that. And last but not least, uh, art can provide a new means of communication. Mm. I mean, now we are doing this uh, podcast. Uh, you see how important actually having cameras here and yes. light and sound. Yes. Uh, uh, our you know, Palestinian people have been telling their story so far, uh, mainly through lectures and maybe books. Mm-hmm. But now... Imagine if we tell our story through a film. Mm, yes. For example, on Netflix now, yes. there is a film called uh, 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 The Present. Okay. Which means, you know, a present, yes. but also the present situation. Yes. yes. And it talks about uh, a Palestinian father with, with his daughter. They want to go from Bethlehem to Jerusalem yes. to get a present for their mom. Ah, okay. And then, you know, the checkpoint. Yes. Uh, all of that and they cannot cross mm-hmm. and it's a 35 minutes film mm-hmm. uh, eight of our students were working on that wow. film uh, as you know uh, assistant producer uh, second assistant director mm-hmm. camera person sound mm-hmm. etc mm-hmm. and imagine I mean a film like that mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, uh, directed by a Palestinian woman mm-hmm. Uh, she lives in the UK. Uh, mm-hmm. A film like that got uh, the BAFTA uh, award and was nominated for the Academy Award. Wow. Uh, one of our students, a film students from the HR refugee camp, which mm-hmm. is the largest refugee camp mm-hmm. in Bethlehem, got the third award at mm-hmm. Cannes Film Festival. Wow. So from the refugee camp to the red carpet, mm-hmm. thanks to filming. And so... Wow. So I see a new generation of creative Palestinian leaders emerging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel, you know, our generation, we failed somehow. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, they will be able, actually, to achieve a just peace uh, and to tell uh, our story yes. uh, as people uh, in, a, in a creative way, in a nonviolent way, you know, uh, right. and in a... In a in an interesting way that catch the the attention uh, of the world, uh, and and this is my hope, this is my prayer, and actually I see it happening. Well, that's magnificent. Well, uh, one last thing I, I'd like us to talk about uh, is Bright Stars of Bethlehem. Uh, this is a nonprofit that you have created as well uh, that is uh, inviting people to come. Uh, follow the star, or follow the stars now, uh, exactly. to to Bethlehem as the biblical story of Jesus' birth and the Magi. Uh, but you know, you you say that your generation, our generation, has failed in this respect. But it does seem to me that you have held up the light, in a sense, uh, still uh, a vision, an imagination for a future that is closer to the dream of God that we read in our biblical texts. Correct. And while strategically we have not seen that come to play, uh, yet you're laying the groundwork for generations to come to do that. Right. Uh, if people are interested in participating somehow and saying, you know, this is all very interesting to me, but here I am in uh, some part of the United States and I can't 
run over to Bethlehem and be an advocate. How can I be a part of that? Bright Stars of Bethlehem, what does it mean and how can you uh, tell yeah. us to help? You know, in, in the biblical story, there were three Magi's that came from the East. Mm -hmm. Now in 2004, there were three, three friends who came from the West, from uh -huh. the US. Okay. They came to Bethlehem yes. uh, following the star. Uh. And they saw our ministry. It was still at the beginning. Okay. And they felt, uh, you know, God was calling them to support this ministry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we created here together uh, a 501c3 tax deductible organization uh, uh, that has two aims. One is to raise awareness about the situation mm -hmm. in Palestine in general and the situation of Christians in particular. But secondly also, uh, uh, to raise support mm -hmm. for this ministry so that it can continue. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, uh, you know, we invite uh, people to visit our uh, Bright Stars of Bethlehem Facebook or Instagram mm -hmm. or website. Yes. Uh, also, if they uh, feel uh, to support, they are most welcome. Uh, and um, um, we hope that if they cannot come and visit us, uh, at least maybe they can watch us through podcasts like this yes. uh, uh, or, uh, you know, follow us uh, on, on these social media. Um, and um, uh, as Bright Stars of Bethlehem, uh, I tour uh, the states like mm -hmm. five times a year, okay. come to different yes. states so people can come and, and hear us Wonderful. and connect with our friends. Wonderful. Well, and if you would like to go to Bethlehem, you are welcome to do that too. Many Christians who go to the Holy Land uh, never actually end up in Bethlehem. They right. only go to Jerusalem and other parts of Israel. Uh, but some of us are committed always to do that. And by the way, Faith Commons will be planning a tour. And so if any of you wishes to join us, please communicate through our website uh, or by email and we'll be talking about that and we'll be going to Bethlehem too. Uh, absolutely. Now, The Politics of Persecution is the book. It's uh, Baylor University Press. and You can get it on Amazon also. And uh, we wish you well with the book and Bright Stars of Bethlehem and Dar al-Kalima uh, and all the ventures, uh, Mitri, that uh, you are involved in. My goodness, uh, just tireless work on behalf of humanity and we're so grateful. Thank you, George, for hosting me and for being such a dear friend. Wonderful. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Social media coordination by Cameron Vickery. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2022 by Faith Commons.